You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prepare yourself. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. How is it that I keep getting worse as I grow older and Jason Stapleton just keeps getting better looking? It's not it's not fair. It's really not fair. I'm I'm 27 now. And when I look at a photo of myself and compare it to a photo of myself from when I was like, you know, let's say 2021, I was a, I was a stud when I was 21. I still think I'm a stud compared to most people, most of you that is. Um, but like I, you know, in some in some angles, I look more distinguished. I've got these lines on my forehead. I've, I think the facial hair evened out as I uh, had a little bit more to cover up on there. My eyes look more seasoned. You know, there are things I like about myself. But Jason Staples, I saw a video of him the other day. And he's got, like, this, you know, Brad Pitt from Fury haircut. And he's gone grayer. And he's got a facial hairstyle kind of similar to mine. Except on me, it looks bad. On him, it looks like it's just natural. And it's not It's it's not fair. You know, I, I, I know girls in high school that went through, like, the same thing. Like, they... They looked one way and then they blossomed into like hot supermodel status. And same for some guys, especially some like bigger guys who got like super ripped, you know, when they were like, you know, life's kind of unfair. I'm going to go hermit and just, you know, become a gym rat and bam, I'm an Instagram influencer now. Those types of guys. Maybe you got guys like me where it's like, as, as Zed from the Degenerate Panel once said, I'm like an anamorph. I look one way one day and then like give it a year and I'll look completely different and I don't know if that's entirely a compliment or not I can certainly say that he's uh, he's accurate in the fact that I've had some physical transformations in my life but um yeah things to think about I don't know if many of you remember but I used to have a show way back when before my time here at the We Are Libertarians network called the Remza Republic and the Remza Republic was a project that I started in my dorm at Liberty University with my brother. And the goal was because we were politically active in the state and the media was never giving libertarian candidates and third-party candidates enough attention, we were like, well, what if we become the new media? And the Remza Republic was quoted in newspapers, radio shows, um, you name it. We were actually a place that young people and the politically disenfranchised would go to in the state of Virginia, and in many cases, across the country. It was a phenomenally successful show that we did with uh, half the knowledge that we have now, 
and a shoestring budget and a lot of gumption and grit. And uh, it propelled me to where I am now. And um, when I when I came to the We Are Libertarians Network in 2020, it was about uh, a year after I had stopped doing the Remsen Republic. I came back with a rebrand called the Remsen Martinez Experience. And if you go back and listen to like the last dozen or so episodes, I think you kind of hear a transition in the way I think about things and the way that. I talk about certain subjects because I tried to move away from politics and I started talking about things that I just wanted to start talking about. And I even did some solo episodes and, um, really I think that's what gave birth to the idea of on the run. I don't like talking politics anymore. I I don't. And I don't like talking about niche political, let's call it niche political subgroups that, are inconsequential to 99, 99.9% of America. Um, I always feel like when I'm about to start talking about this stuff, I have to issue a disclaimer and apology. But anyway, um, sometimes I go back and I think about the Rumser Republic because if I had kept doing what I was doing now, I would probably be speaking at more in-person events you know, take, take COVID and all that stuff out of the equation. If I had kept doing what I, what I was doing, I would have gotten invited more places. I'd probably have a larger profile. I probably would have had a lot of things kind of just given to me on a silver platter. And um, it wasn't for a lack of trying, but, you know, I think if I had kept, kept, it, kept it going at the rate it was going, especially if how my life has gone, maybe I would have, maybe things would have been a little bit differently. I can certainly tell you if that was the case, I would be a completely different person. And for the most part, I'd be an unhappy person. I I like what I do now. I have, to be quite honest, probably half the audience I had when I was doing the Remster Republic, but I have a million percent more impact on people. The number of you that are reaching out to me to coach you, to help you find ways to maximize freedom in your own life. The fact that now people actually listen to this program because they want to hear what I have to say and not just because of the cool guest I have, it, um, it, it means more now. I'm putting good out into the world and people are receiving it and they're doing good things in their lives and that is reverberating out to the people around them And it goes on and on and on and on. And I wouldn't change that for anything. God has been so good to me. You all have been so good to me. And if the path I took led me to here right now, and if I could go back knowing everything I know and change things, good, bad, and indifferent, I would not have changed anything. I still choose to carry the hardship and the pain and the lessons and it's still worth it. I certainly wouldn't have wound up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, traveling around to different jiu-jitsu dojos, getting my ass kicked regularly. If you told a 24, 25-year-old Remzo that this would be the future, he would be like, what the hell, man? I'm still dealing with that car accident from a few years ago, and you're telling me I'm rolling around doing crazy ninja stuff with tough dudes? Yeah. You done well, boy. You done well. And you're going to keep doing well.
But uh, back in the Remzo Republic days, it was really kind of hitting its uh, hitting its stride during and after the 2016 election. That was probably when things were really, really picking up fast. I used to do that show seasonally, so it would be three months on, a mo- uh, like two months off, and then three months on again uh, for about 20 episodes or so. When, when After I graduated from college, my brother and I, my brother Ryan was the producer. We were doing two shows a week, and we were doing a, a live show that was in between episodes of the podcast. So the live shows sometimes had guests, but sometimes it was just me talking. That was really my first attempt of trying to do um, monologues and stuff. And then we would have the longer, more long-form interviews of folks, um, you know, in, in the podcast. And, I mean, the, the live show was was amazing because I, I got to meet with people who are just um, just just – you know them now, especially if you're in in the political Twitter sphere and stuff like that. Morgan Zeggers, I remember speaking to Morgan Zeggers when she had like 100 followers on Facebook and she was running for New York State Assembly and now everyone is, is in love with Morgan Zeggers and she doesn't take my calls or texts anymore because she's too big. It's okay, Morgan. If you, if you hear this, I love you. I know you're busy. Saving the world from the commies. It's all good that you forgot your old buddy Remzo. It... It's what happens. I'm not bitter. I'm a little bitter. Ah, well. Um, Joy Villa, who uh, was has always just been so kind to me. I had her on after the famous MAGA dress incident, and uh, now she's she's doing her thing. Just just many opportunities. One opportunity that never came to be, and I'm glad it, it didn't happen. Was well, nah, I can't I can't necessarily say that. What I will say is that it was definitely telling. Um, Joe Walsh, congressman, former congressman from Illinois, Joe Walsh, Tea Party Republican, you know, angry Joe Walsh from the Joe Walsh show on, a on Chicago radio. Um, he was jumping on Trump's back, writing his name to fame. The thing about Joe Walsh is that he was never really popular before all that. He was a, a he was a, a very early supporter of Donald Trump in 2015 when Donald came down the elevator, the escalator. Sorry, the escalator, the famous escalator mo- moment when he was about to announce, and um, he did so because prior to that he was never really popular. He was considered a, um, as some people put, a corrupt congressman. Um, had divorced his wife, and was not paying his child support. Um, you know, this is all coming from somebody who was a failed actor, somebody who always wanted attention, um, tried to jump on the Tea Party scene, but a lot of people saw through him. And when he saw Donald come down and was like, hmm, this guy's a showman, he tried to jump on that. And uh, for the most part, he was the one saying that, you know, if, if Hillary wins, let's go ahead and get our muskets out. He's calling for revolution. He's the one saying that Obama's not an American citizen, all this other stuff. He was the definition of the right-wing whack job that the liberals try and paint all conservatives to be. And he relished in it because he was getting on the news again, and he was you know, gaining tons and tons of more sponsors and listeners and fans across the Internet. Um, the controversy just made it all better. 
And at one point, a few friends of mine that were in charge of a student group at Liberty University, they invited him to uh, come speak, and he got a quick spot at Convo, and then after that, he... Um, he, he, he spoke to a pretty empty crowd because a lot of people were like, this guy's kind of wacky, and we're a school known for wackiness. And I remember asking um, my friends who put on that whole shindig, like, what's he like behind clothes stores? And apparently they sat in a room with Joe, his wife, and Jerry Falwell Jr., ironically. And apparently it's like a switch went off, and he was very quiet, and he was very soft-spoken, and he was very direct and to the point. It, it was like it was watching a completely different Joe Walsh. And I asked, I'm like, did that seem like the more genuine one? And they were like, I don't know. But what I can tell you is that that dude's a snake. And I didn't, I didn't have a strong opinion of him at the time. I didn't really like him at the time. But, you know, it's how things, it's how things work. When you finally get to meet somebody behind the closed doors, you get to really see who they are. I've learned that a time or two myself. So anyway, 2016 rolls through. Donald Trump is president. I was still pretty skeptical at the time, except I was starting to realize it's like, you know, Hillary probably would have launched us all into nuclear war. Let's give Donald a, tr a chance. This is me turning into the Trump supporter um, that I, I would eventually become because I was like, okay, let's actually see him lead and try and do things. And um, Joe Walsh and I got into it on Twitter. And I, I thought it was funny, because I had like a few hundred followers at the time, but my podcast was going on, so I actually uh, I challenged Joe Walsh to a debate. I, I debated whether or not conservatives um, you know, should be skeptical of Donald Trump or not, seeing how now he was going to be inaugurated as the president of the United States. And Joe Walsh and I were going back and forth trying to coordinate, and then one day he just ghosted me. And I reached out a few more times, and then I saw that he was just not going to keep responding, and after almost solidifying a date, the dude just completely vanished. And that was that. And, and over the course of the next couple of years, something just kind of changed. He suddenly started really trying to jump more into the mainstream conservative scene, especially as Trump was putting together his cabinet and he was appointing people to all these positions. And you had a lot of people from right-wing media, such as Fox, um, you know, right-wing academia, the typical conservative political celebrities, all those types. When it seemed like ev anyone and everyone was getting a job in the Trump White House, Joe Walsh seemed to be kind of left behind. And then it got to the point where the, the tune changed. And as soon as things seemed kind of solid and the Trump campaign really wanted nothing to do with him and now the administration really wants nothing to do with him, suddenly Joe Walsh starts getting kind of negative, getting a little testy, trying to sound more independent, almost like a scorned lover or something. And then a few years follow, and the dude just completely goes off his rocker. Now, to have a reason to support somebody and then not support them is just as possible as not supporting somebody and then supporting them. You can go back and listen to those old uh, archives from the old show. 
I was very critical of Donald Trump. I really did not like Donald Trump. And now look at where we are now, where I did a full episode on this program explaining why I would be voting for Donald Trump in 2020. I will still defend his presidency and the good things he did. Was it perfect? No. But is he the best president of my lifetime as of now? Yes. And that is something I will argue anytime, anywhere with anyone. But that's not the point. The point is Joe's opinion starts changing. And then suddenly, one day, after going on many, many rampages, accusing Donald Trump of being a Russian spy and all this other stuff and being a a fascist now, and now he's starting to go after some of his Republican friends, um, you know, Andy, Andy McCarthy and others, Walsh decides to run for president in the Republican primary. At that point, he's like, "We need real. We need a real conservative." He almost he almost sounds like he was saying the things that I was saying a few years prior, but now he's saying like, "We need a real conservative. We need real leadership." He's increasing the debt and blah blah blah, and we need to get loud and all this other stuff. And for the most part, nobody pays any attention to him. He is just bleh, just flat, loses his show. Um, but suddenly, you know, all the, all the Lincoln Project folks suddenly start rallying behind Walsh. All the people that were calling him a, a crazy, racist, right-wing nut job a few years ago are all clapping for him now. And you can tell a lot about people who talk shit to you online and then start praising you on the flip of a dime. But that happens, and then he starts going on MSNBC and CNN and all the progressive radio shows and everything. And eventually he drops out because he was never going to ever replace Donald Trump as the GOP nominee. So what comes after? What comes after is he starts saying that I will do anything and everything not just to get a Democrat elected president of the United States, but to if you're a libertarian thinking about voting third party, you might as well be voting for Donald Trump. Oh, that's so funny now. That's so funny now. Because years prior, he was saying that it was a vote for Hillary Clinton if you voted third party. And I do also want to reference that during a Turning Point USA event, the last Turning Point USA event that Don, that uh, Joe Walsh would ever be invited to, he said that if uh, Donald Trump turned out to be a bad president, he would run as a libertarian. Well, I guess they didn't want him either. But I digress. So now he's saying he's going to do anything and everything possible to make sure a Democrat is elected president. And then he goes a step further and says, yes, I'll even take an honest socialist over Donald Trump. And then he takes a step further saying, I want a Democrat elected. I'm willing to vote for Bernie Sanders. And fuck it. I'm going to go ahead and make sure Democrats win every race up and down the ballot as possible. Immediately, the GOP grifters at the Lincoln Project seem to like Walsh, too. So he starts getting in their orbit. And then he starts going back on MSNBC more often. And then, you know, he's getting all the praise, being a former Republican congressman, a Tea Party type who's fighting against Donald Trump. And suddenly, they love him. He replaced one audience that was dwindling with a new audience that could use him as political fodder to advance their cause. Contrary to popular belief, 
Some people do like Judas's. But I digress. So what ends up happening is that he just keeps pushing it after the 2020 election. Now he's against the Electoral College. Now he's for more gun control. Suddenly, everything that Joe Walsh used to believe in, now he's not just a slight critic of, but he's entirely wholeheartedly against it. I'm not saying that people can't change their minds. But what I'm saying is, is that when your audience turns against you, when the people you're trying to get the attention of ignore you, and then you lose your job, and you never really had any talent in anything to begin with, and then you completely change who you are, someone get this man an Oscar, because Joe Walsh is an incredible actor. So why am I talking about Joe Walsh? Well, I saw on Twitter a couple weeks from before, uh, before this airs, uh, Joe Walsh is apparently going to go speak at a Libertarian Party convention in Texas. To which I replied on Twitter, is Hillary Clinton unavailable? This is an example of people following this anti-conventional, anti-everything, contrarian, enemy-of-my-enemy mindset into almost an infinite loop of crackpipe craziness. And, and we see it amongst everybody. We see it amongst progressives. We see it amongst conservatives. Conservatives, look at what they did with Van Jones. Van Jones, who's one of the most radically progressive people in the United States. Van Jones says one positive thing about Donald Trump, and then he's inviting him to speak at CPAC. Then all these conservatives are like, you know, Van Jones is a good guy. Van Jones was part of a militant Marxist group in the, in the 90s that wanted to overthrow the United States. And on many times, he's, uh, he's advocated for things that are just wholly un-American and wholly anti-liberty. But please, he says one nice thing, and let's go ahead and, and give him a, a giant platform and forget everything negative. Let's talk about that one thing. Th- this enemy-of-my-enemy enemy mentality gets you to a point where you just twist yourself up like a pretzel and then then the real question becomes, what, what, what are you actually for? What are you actually doing? Now, if you're listening to this show, I'm going to guess pretty smart money, you're probably a libertarian. We have some who aren't. <laughs> God bless you. Thank you for tuning in. I promise not every episode is going to be like this. But most of you are. You're my, you're my ugly sisters and my, and my goofy brothers, and we're, we're all here. Except you, you know, you listening right now, you're beautiful. Beautiful or handsome. Pick, pick one or the other. But I, I, I remember going through a stage when I first became a libertarian and I started becoming very skeptic of everything and I started questioning literally everything. And it just it made me feel special to have contrarian thoughts to mainstream narratives. And then as I got more into the weeds of it and activism and everything else... It, it very much got to the point where the lines of support and the lines that constituted allies and enemies started becoming just very all over the place. Um, I think I've gotten better over the years, but 
there are some cases where people call me a hypocrite or people say, you're so anti this person or you're so anti that, you're willing to basically get in bed with anyone who agrees with you on one thing, and I disagree. One example, people got a little bit upset when I was still involved in Virginia politics at the time. I think I, I, think I just started working at the Washington Times, too. But I went ahead and I voted for Tulsi Gabbard in the Democratic primary. We have open primaries in Virginia. I went ahead and voted for Tulsi Gabbard. I didn't vote for Tulsi Gabbard because I wanted to just mess with their primary. The truth is I probably, in any other election, if, you know, if let's say we had George Bush as, uh, as, as, the, as president at the time, or even if, let's say, let, let's, let's, play a, let's play a hypothetical game. If we have Tulsi Gabbard versus Dan Crenshaw, Tulsi Gabbard versus Nikki Haley, Tulsi Gabbard versus, I don't know, Lindsey Graham, throw a name out there right now. There are a lot of Republicans I don't like. I would vote for Tulsi Gabbard. Why? Because I believe in a lot of the things that she believes, and we have differences. And we don't just have one or two things in common. We actually agree on a lot of things. And Tulsi Gabbard is an example of a person. People compare... Tulsi Gabbard to Joe Walsh, but not in a positive way either if you're one of those people that supports Joe Walsh. Because notice how, you know, there's kind of a similar trajectory. When Tulsi got in, she was often, you know, hailed as the new generation of progressives, and then she went after Obama because of the unfair drone strikes and things like that, and the unconstitutional and lawful drone strikes and stuff like that, and military intervention, then she met with Assad, and now suddenly she started to get pushed away by her own base. And then when she ran for president... Um, she even took a lot of jabs at many Democrats, and she then started appearing on Fox, criticizing the party. Now, now here's a difference, though. From when Tulsi Gabbard became Congressman Tulsi Gabbard to when she was presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard, if you paid attention, it's not that she changed what she was saying. It's that people were asking her more questions. It's that people were really getting to see her lead as a legislator. It's that people were actually trying to figure out what's this lady's game. Tulsi Gabbard, from when she was freshman congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, who, by the way, worked with my good friend, former congressman Tom Garrett. Uh, She co-sponsored his bill, which was the Stop Funding Terrorism Act, which surprisingly failed in, in the House of Representatives and failed in the Senate, ironically, the Stop Funding Terrorism Act. If you look at her from then to where she is today, today, like right now, she's been consistent every step of the way on almost everything she's been put on the record on. I know Tulsi Gabbard based on her record. And I've even had the pleasure of speaking of Tulsi Gabbard. Awesome lady. There's a difference between somebody who you get to understand more of as you begin to shed more light on them versus somebody who completely changes who they are within a a matter of a few moments between big decisions. Joe Walsh is one of those people that changed. Now, Joe Walsh has been adopted by the liberal media, 
and Progressive Darlings. And Tulsi Gabbard has, for the most part, ironically, been adopted by the right. But I would dare say that Tulsi Gabbard has lost more opportunity, has lost more influence, and has had more detriment caused to her professionally and personally than Joe Walsh, who has a new show and had a book deal and is a regular contributor to MSNBC and has more big people speaking their praises than not. His praises than not. So to see that libertarians are bringing Joe Walsh, a person who said to libertarians that to vote libertarian in 2020 was to vote for Donald Trump, shows something about small-minded people. It's that when they get so fixated on reminding everybody as to how contrarian they are and as to how special they are, that they just start playing this whole enemy of my enemy is my friend is my enemy is my friend is my enemy is my enemy is my friend is my enemy is my enemy my friend. You know, you start getting to the point where you're asking yourself, like, who's the Judas in this situation? Who made the deliberate, intentional decision to go back on what they said they believed in? It becomes like the anti-everything paradox. You just, you just twist yourself into a pretzel, as I mentioned earlier, and eventually no one knows where, where, where your head and your asshole are. You, you know, you know we, we talk about the show a lot, and some people called me a shameless self-promoter, which I am, and a salesman, which I am, and all these things, which I, I thought, you know, being somebody that's trying to give value to others and take part in this great capitalist system that we have. I thought that used to be a libertarian value. I don't know about that anymore. I can tell you that the smart people listening to this show know that. We know that while, while they're going to go ahead and bring Joe Walsh to a convention to speak to Lemmings, so hopefully he might sell some books and take some photos, uh, you and I are out there hustling, trying to gain as much of our freedom back because God knows people like Joe Walsh won't help you. He didn't help you when he was in Congress, and he's certainly not helping you now. The man is for COVID mandates. The man is for mask mandates. The man supported the lockdowns. Why? Because he didn't like Donald Trump. Because he couldn't get a job. Because he didn't fly higher. Because Icarus got as high as he could. And he didn't just fall into the sea and drown. He fell on the ground and thought to himself, how do I destroy the sun? Joe Walsh is one of many men like him who have come before him and who will be here after him. But as we jump into the midterms and we inch closer and closer to a presidential election, I promise you two things. One, we'll do what we did in 2020, which is focus on the topics and the things that we can control and not focus on things we can't control. This won't become a drive-by show like many others. And secondly, this message stays consistent regardless as to who's president, regardless as to what party's in control. That, I can tell you, is never going to change. And this is my plea, especially for younger people. I, I, had a, I had a listener, Shannon, reach out to me. She recommended um, 
this, uh, this kid to me who's about 17, 18 years old who started a podcast, way younger than when I started. And um, she likes this kid, and she can tell he has potential in the game, but he's, he's jumped far into the libertarian deep end of the internet, and she's afraid that because of the things he's saying online and because some of the people he's associating with, that it's going to affect this kid in like the real, real world. You know, the, the real, real world where you have to pay rent on time and you have to do your laundry and you have to associate with non-Twitter people, like people you work with and live with and do stuff with. She wanted me to have him on my radar because she was going to tell him, hey, I think you should have Remsa Martinez on your show. And then she reached out to me telling me, hey, I told this kid to reach out to you and I'm hoping he does because I'm hoping you can get him away from this before it becomes something that consumes him entirely because he's smart and he's capable and he has potential. But if he jumps into this, especially if some of the influences he's getting from certain people, he's going to set himself up for a lot of heartache and a lot of challenges and a lot of tough situations that would otherwise be unnecessary. And instead of advancing freedom and doing what he believes, he's going to do what other people believe, and he's going to end up shrinking his own opportunities. And at least I, in a Morpheus sense, can get him to think about what's in his own best interest, developing skills, developing a network, trying to find a passion that he's potentially really, really, really interested in, maybe he can turn that into a career. Maybe he could mentor somebody eventually. Maybe he could be that trusted advisor as Brian Nichols from the Brian Nichols shows often tells people to become. And maybe he could be a leader. Maybe that leads to him to being in politics. I don't know. But you, you are the people you surround yourself with the most. And I took a look at the lineup of people he's trying to surround himself with who look good on the internet, but their lives are far from enviable. Maybe that was you at some point. I can tell you, to be quite honest, at some point, that was me. The difference, though, between me and a lot of people is that I figured it out. And I hope that you figured it out, too. Didn't want this to be a melodramatic episode. Didn't want this to be anything that dove too far into the weeds. But it is a gentle reminder that we need to be careful of the people that we set up as false prophets. And that we need to ultimately remember that just because, you know, people like to throw that enemy and my enemy is my friend thing. It doesn't make it true. It doesn't make it true. To be a contrarian for contrarian's sake gets you nowhere. To be consistent on principle, however, you'll, you'll never fail that challenge when push comes to shove. Well, that's all she wrote. I hope uh, you enjoy listening about my life as much as I enjoy living it. I'm Ramsey W. Martinez. Be safe, be good. I'll talk to you next week. Good night.